Hi everybody, it's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Two little bits of business before we get down to the evisceration of all things political. Uh, Free Domain Radio has just been named in the top 100 most inspiring and innovative blogs for educators. You can check that out at the uh, homepage at freedomainradio.com. Also, I will be giving a scintillating, spectacular, and not-so-sexy speech in Philadelphia, July the 4th, 2000. And nine. Uh, more details will be forthcoming, but if you would like to uh, meet and greet with myself and, of course, my lovely wife will be traveling with me, as will our charming and uh, entirely too vanilla-looking uh, vanilla daughter, and so I hope that you will drop by. It's going to be a Q&A period uh, really around private solutions for statist functions. Uh, I can guarantee that it will be very enjoyable and uh, enlightening, so I hope that you will come by. So I wanted to have a little uh, chat about moral leadership, because, of course, this really is the fundamental question of a civil and moral society, is the question of moral leadership. And there are four areas, traditionally, in which moral leadership must resign if a state, must, uh, sorry, must reside if a state of society is to function or a civil society is to function. This is the historical lodging grounds for moral authority. The first is the uh, political leadership. The second is the clergy, or the religious or spiritual leadership. The third is the police. And the fourth is the military. And uh, this, of course, uh, these are the people who have the most power in society, both the power of ethics and the power of uh, educating children, both in terms of the clergy and in terms of the state, uh, the power of violence in the case of the politicians who lead it and the police and the military who uh, enact it, who hold the gun to the throats of the citizens. So it is in these four groups that we would expect and demand, and it's in fact necessary to have, the very highest standards of moral leadership that could conceivably be imagined. Because if there aren't, isn't the highest standards of moral leadership uh, in these areas, then of course it is a mere predation uh, rather than uh, moral uh, leadership. So, I'm just going to take four examples, and you can, of course, um, come up with counterexamples. We can have a debate about that, but I think these are pretty telling. For those who've been following the fallout uh, scandal from the British politician's expense scandal, this is from World Focus. The links, of course, are off to the right. The Speaker of the House of Commons has resigned. Trouble is brewing for British politicians after the Daily Telegraph reported that several members of Parliament had abused their expenses system, spending thousands of pounds of public money on questionable claims including $3,000 to clear a moat surrounding an estate and money for diapers, comics, and hair dyes. And this has really spread to just about every British politician has been abusing his or her expense account. Now, personally, if I'm abusing an expense account and I have uh, a moat and a castle uh, and a private estate, I absolutely want to have that moat cleared off because I don't want any of the peasants walking across to exact their pound of flesh. And... It's, there's, uh, you know, th th this is striking a chord in England. This, this story is going on and on. It hasn't so much crossed the pond because there are far bigger scandals in the American politic political system, but uh, at least it's for once uh, not British politician sex scandal, but it is a financial scandal. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an expense account. I worked for many years with an expense account, and uh, if you were to put personal items on your expense account, uh, you'd, you'd be fired and possibly prosecuted if it went off on for long enough. Certainly, the money would be recoverable, plus uh, they would probably threaten you 
uh, with, uh, with a, a lawsuit or with a criminal investigation because it's out and out theft. Um, in the political system, of course, it's the old question, who watches the watchers? Well, the media is supposed to watch the watchers, but that really, really happens because the media has no power. So when we look at ethical behavior, and the conscience is a very important aspect of ethical behavior, and the conscience has been defined not too badly as uh, that which uh, has us acting rightly even when nobody is watching. And of course, in the government, nobody watches and almost nobody acts rightly. Well, why is, why is this important? Because it's so fundamental and people are talking about, well, we need reforms within parliament and this and that, but it's much more fundamental than that because what this reveals is the character or lack thereof of the British politicians who are clearly abusing the public funds for second homes, for moats, for comics, for um, diapers, for all things which could not conceivably be associated with the actual running of their duties. So catching these people is not really the point. The fact that they're doing it in the first place indicates no respect for public money, uh, a sense of entitlement, a sense of narcissism, a, uh, clearly no internalized fundamental moral standards. So the fact that they're caught and then people saying, well, let's put in safeguards, that's not the point. The point is that the people who claim to be the moral leaders of the nation, who claim to have the ability to use violence in the pursuit of virtue, Surely one of the most morally challenging, difficult, if not impossible tasks in the ethical landscape of the species, those who claim to be the most moral, to be able to use guns and bombs and invade countries and throw people in jail and harass and tax and theft and steal and, uh, you know, educate the children, all significantly challenging moral tasks, can't even not steal from you in their expense accounts. And again, if I claim that I can bench press 300 pounds and you doubt my ability to do so because I'm 98 pounds of sinew and Dungeons and Dragons no tan skin, the first thing you'll do is hopefully not put 300 pounds and crush my chicken chest. Hopefully what you're going to do is say, okay, let's start off small. You claim that you can bench 300 pounds. You really don't look like you can. So let's start off small. I'm going to give you... 40 pounds to bench or 30 pounds. Now, if I can't bench the 30 pounds, surely my claims that I can bench 300 pounds prove completely ridiculous. And if people in the upper echelons of the political statist criminal gang can't even not steal on their expense accounts, can we even remotely believe their claims that they are perfectly competent to educate the children, invade other countries, throw people in jail, use violence to achieve their goals, all things which we would consider well, that's bench pressing infinity, but let's say it's a hell of a lot more. They can't even lift the tiny moral weight of personal integrity on their expense accounts. So the rest of their moral claims are perfectly ridiculous. Because if you can't be honest in your expense account, giving the infinite power of nuclear weapons, the state, the prison system, the judicial system, the army, the police, et al. is completely ridiculous. And this is what people are struggling to avoid in this particular issue. They're struggling like mad to avoid this basic knowledge that safeguards won't help. Because if people aren't ethical in this area, a tiny little area of personal integrity, they're clearly not going to be more ethical in more challenging, complex, and corruptible situations. So this is what everybody's struggling to avoid, and this is why whenever this stuff comes out, you get a massive clusterfrack of suggestions and recommendations, and let's do this, and let's have a committee, and right? Which is all designed to ignore the basic problem, which is that the people are not moral who have control 
of our lives, our children's educations, uh, the weapons of the world, and the prisons of the planet, uh, they're not moral even in the little things. And that, of course, is a terrifying thing for people to look at, that you're voting for immoral people, that immoral people are in charge of all the, you know, human-destroying weapons on the planet. Well, that's what we need to face. That's why we need such a fundamental change in society. But people are struggling to avoid that, right? Because they'll always say, well, let's get some safeguards in, let's get... But that's not the issue at all. So uh, that's just a little thing which I think is worth having a look at. The second, certainly much more grim, uh, rape in the U.S. military. So again, we would hope, in fact, it would be utterly necessary that those who had the most power uh, also had the greatest ethical standards, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Of course, in statism, with great power comes no responsibility. But that, of course, is the fundamental issue with statism, right? And so those who uh, pull triggers on command to shoot others, we would, we would absolutely require them to have the highest moral standards uh, because they have the greatest moral power, which is the power to slaughter whoever they choose. And so we would uh, ask for the military to be anything other than uh, the most destructive criminal gang in the history of the world. Uh, the, the people uh, uh, on the ground and the people all the way up to the highest echelons would have to be the highest moral exemplars that we could conceivably imagine because they have the greatest power in the world. So uh, rape uh, is, is pretty much the second worst crime uh, other than murder, and some might say it's worse. But uh, we would, of course, imagine that those who uh, we gave all this power to would have the very highest moral standards. So this is from Women in War. Oh, sorry, let's just go straight to this from, from MS Magazine. Once again, the U.S. military scolds itself on rape, but will anything change? Less than three weeks after Army Private First Class Susan Upchurch arrived at her first assignment in Germany, she was raped by a fellow service member. When she reported the 2002 crime to a sergeant, she was told to be a soldier and pretend it never happened. As a woman in the U.S. military, Upchurch is far from alone in experiencing the terror of sexual assault and in experiencing the terror, sorry, and its trauma traumatic aftermath. Over the past 15 years, scandalous episodes at the Navy's tailhook convention, where female sailors were groped by their cohorts to the Aberdeen training grounds where army superiors raped trainees, drew widespread attention to the problem. Most recently, a report from the Miles Foundation, which provides support to abuse victims in the military, received, revealed nearly 200 reported assaults on female service members in the current theater of military operations, and that's likely just the tip of the iceberg. If you are a woman soldier in Iraq, you have a very high probability that you will be raped, says U.S. Um, Rep. Loretta Sanchez, and not raped just once, but several times. So, there are... Let's see, the DOD released chilling statistics called from 21 military locations at all branches of the service showing that nearly 2,000 incidents of sexual assault were reported in 2002 to 2003. The uh, number of reported rapes rose 25% over the period of 1999 to 2002, a time when the number of army personnel on active duty rose just over 9%. So... Uh, uh, so the people who have the most uh, uh, violence, uh, most power of violence, um, have a very high prevalence of rape. Um, this uh, is not is not good, right? This is not a a good situation. Uh, we absolutely would require for statism to be even viable in any kind of theory. We would require those with the most power to be the most moral, and consistently we find that those with the lowest power tend to be the least moral. And um, I find it hard to imagine why people would be surprised at this in the first place and also would be surprised 
that the army is dragging its feet and not doing anything about it. Because it would seem to me that rape is a perk of army life. That's what would draw people in. That's what draw these sociopaths into the army. I mean, there are, you know, three perks of army life. The first is an entirely regimented life where you don't have to think for yourself. Uh, the second is uh, the slaughter, right? The people who want to murder go into the army. And the third is the rape and pillaging and torture, of course, right? So the associated crimes short of murder, just short of murder. But those would be the three, the three perks that would draw people into the military. So of course the military is not going to act strongly against rape because rape is, is a perk of the position. Uh, so I, I'm not sure why people are surprised, but it does indicate, of course, uh, an entire culture of the destruction of all things good, virtuous, noble, and moral. Police. Although it is difficult to get accurate statistics, this is from policedynamics.com, studies consistently show that the police profession has the highest rates of divorce, alcoholism, domestic violence, and suicides. Depending on the study, this is from the U.S., I think, divorce rate is 60 to 70% higher than the national average. Alcoholism rate is two times the national average. Domestic violence rate is among the highest of all professions. Suicide rate three times the national average. Well, again, we would hope that people would not uh, beat up on their wives and children if they are entrusted with the guns of the state turned against largely disarmed citizens. Because if you can't refrain from beating the crap out of your wife and children, drinking yourself into a stupor or shooting yourself, then it's sort of hard to imagine how you can morally implement very complex regulatory policies like, say, you know, taxation or why you would ever have a problem with bypassing such troublesome legal technicalities as habeas corpus and so on. So, uh, police, uh, and you, you can go through all the professions in this realm. Uh, as far as the clergy goes, I mean, you don't even need, this is just going on in Ireland at the moment where shocking abuse has been coming to light. It happened here in Canada where the clergy was in charge of the aboriginals and regularly killed them, refused to provide medical attention, uh, raped, uh, beat, uh, uh, and so on, uh, and just tortured them. And so uh, the, the Catholic clergy moving around the pedophiles from diocese to diocese, um, we understand that the moral leadership of mankind is utterly corrupt uh, in its present form. And it's because they're not philosophers. They're statists. They're supernatural, superstitious theists. They are uh, people who have entirely brutalized histories, who grew up wanting to point guns at people who can't fight back. They're bullies. They're brutes. They're monsters uh, in the police and in the military. And this goes all the way through the chain of command. Moral men and women, you see, do not want to be put in charge of murderous rapists, say, in the military, or, you know, wife and child beating sociopaths in the police force. Moral men and women simply would not want to be in charge of those people. So the corruption goes, you know, bounces up and down, all the way through, pendulum side to side. It fills the entire system. Because if you've got these sociopathic soldiers and police officers and pedophilic priests, you simply don't want to be in charge of those kinds of monsters. If you're a moral human being, you'll run completely to the other side of the planet and burrow through it if you have to. If you are a moral man and you are in the British Parliament and you begin to lecture or threaten to expose or whatever people about the very basic and minor misdeeds of fudging or stealing from expense accounts, what happens to you? Well... It's very clear. So there's sort of two points I think that's important to get out of this. One is that the, the screw-uppedness of the world is not that hard to figure out if you look at who we 
elevate, or rather who is elevated over us, the moral, sentiment, the moral leadership of mankind, which is utterly corrupt and monstrous. So, of course, if you have uh, um, somebody who doesn't know how to cook, you're going to get bad meals. And if you have people who are corrupt and immoral to the core, you're going to end up with a corrupt and immoral society. It's interesting to me that a reform of the rules is proposed for people fudging expense accounts or stealing from the public purse in the British Parliament, yet if you were to try this with your local tax authority, right, so if you claim things, completely outlandish things as uh, deductible expenses in your income tax form, uh, and they then come back and catch you, well, they're going to threaten you with jail and fines and really mess up your life. Uh, but of course, that's not what happens in the political world. At most, people will lose their jobs, which means they shuffle over to the private sector, milk their contacts for lots of money, and still get their pension, right? This is not really a punishment at all. Uh, it's like uh, uh, getting caught with an expense account and getting a uh, expense account uh, theft and then getting a promotion. So this really, and this is not what happens to the private citizens, right? If you if you screw up, screw with your expense account versus the vis-a-vis -vis the government, uh, they will come after you with the tanks, right? Uh, if you screw with your expense account in the government, uh, you'll get scolding from the press and you might have to resign. But uh, it's not like you get any threats of uh, repayments or jail time. And everybody just talks about a reform, right? So if you, you know, just claim everything you want in your next uh, tax rent, and when they come after you, say, no, 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 uh, it's not my fault, it's the rules, and what we really need is a commission to look into this, uh, which is going to take a couple of years and produce no, uh, no, no real response, uh, and maybe we'll work on reforming the rules, but for heaven's sake, you can't come after me for uh, claiming these personal things. And see how well that works when you use the standards within the government against the government when you're outside of it. See how well that works. The last thing that I'll say is that the basic concept of, of having a state, of having a government, is the idea that in the absence of negative consequences, like uh, arrest and jail time and, and so on, in the absence of negative consequences, immoral behavior increases. Right? This is the idea. Well, we need a government, you see, because if people aren't going to be arrested and go to jail, they'll just run around stealing and, and biting the heads off chickens and you know raping pigeons or whatever, right? So in the absence of negative consequences, immoral behavior increases. That is the basic argument for statism. Now, I think that there's some real truth in that. I think that the last thing you want is a government to do that, for reasons I'll get into in a second. But let's say that the argument is, is valid, right? Because if it's not valid, then we don't need a state at all, even as a possibility. So if the absence of negative consequences causes an increase in, in immoral behavior, the last thing you'd ever want is a government, because in the government, there are no negative consequences, right? You can be Bill Clinton, and you can use personal assistance as personal geishas. Well, nothing happens. You, you know, fill out your term, you get a full pension, uh, you get speaking tours, you get books published, you make millions of dollars. Uh, if you are uh, George Bush, right, you can invade foreign countries and nothing negative happens, right? Uh, you cause the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, and you get full pension, and you get uh, ticker tape parades and all this kinds of nonsense. Uh, if you are a soldier and slaughter the innocents, you will get medals and promotions. Uh, if you are a policeman and you just, if you choose not to enforce an immoral law, you will simply get bounced from the force. And if you obey whoever tells you uh, who to point the gun at, you will get promotions and end up as police chief if you want. Right? So in, if we say, well, in the absence of negative consequences, immoral behavior increases, then if we create this alternate universe called the government where evil is rewarded with promotions, extra money, and extra money, then we're actually creating a situation where immoral behavior, evil behavior, is rewarded rather than punished. So if we need a government to punish people for bad deeds, we have created automatically a realm where people are praised, rewarded, and promoted for 
the most egregious and immoral deeds that can be imagined. And that's why statism not only doesn't work, but promotes the greatest evils on the planet. Thank you so much for watching. I will talk to you soon.